hey, can you do me a favor and give our worship band a, a round of applause? They are doing a fantastic job. They are putting a lot of work into this week, put a lot of work into uh, our, our, our Easter celebration, and I want you to acknowledge that they're doing a great, fantastic job this morning. So we give them thanks, and uh, what a wonderful job they're doing. Uh, I'm going to be doing something a bit different. Uh, many of you know I don't like notes. I don't prefer to use notes. I like to jump around and, and, and get a little excited. But for the sake of not saying anything stupid this morning, I'm going to have to borrow my notes. I hope you're okay with that. Everybody okay with that this morning? Okay, uh, when I tend to get off script, I tend to say things I shouldn't. I'm, I think I'm three for three over the last three Sundays, so I apologize to those of you who I've offended. <laughs> well, we've been in this series called Worlds Apart over the last five, six weeks during Lent, and this whole idea is that Jesus comes to the world, and he introduces not only his world into our world, but he says that they should become one together in this beautiful space called the kingdom of God. It's really beautiful. And so we have been embarking on this journey where Jesus has cryptic things. He has weird conversations with people. But he invites us to bring about the very things he talks about on this earth. And so we're going to continue in that journey this morning. Would you pray for me before we start? Lord, we give thanks for this time. We pray that we would open our minds and our hearts to you, that you would be in this moment. You would guide my words and that we would walk away as people moved by you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've had a substantial amount of rain over the last week, and I don't know if it was Monday or Tuesday, but I woke up in the morning admiring the drops of water falling from the sky, creating little mini waves in the pools outside of my driveway. But I also noticed that our grass was a bit greener, and it was growing. I don't know about you, but I love springtime, right? It's water. It's water. It rains a lot in Chicago, by the way. I, I'm sure you know that, but I'm still new here, and I'm figuring that out. A lot of clouds, a lot of rain, a lot of water. I love it. But water brings greenery. It brings growth. It brings beauty. It brings life, right? Water. What a beautiful thing. And I remember sitting there uh, on Tuesday morning, and I was a, just having kind of this peaceful moment of admiration when from within the depths of me, from the soul, I have no clue where it came from, but I, I, I yelled out this question, what makes the green grass grow? Janelle looked at me and she said, where did that come from? And I was just as surprised as she was. See, I haven't heard that question in years, but you have to understand something. This is a question that runs deep. It is a philosophical question. It is a question that runs the underground root system of our very fabric. It is a question, hear me now, that shapes our identity. It is the dominating narrative. It is a story, you might say, that has captured our hearts. Not only mine, but yours as well. Funny thing is, most, most of us aren't aware that this question lies at the heart of who we are. The question, what makes the green grass grow? Say that with me. What makes the green grass grow? You see, it was my first year out of high school that this question was first asked of me, and it was during my military training I discovered the answer to the question. You see, I joined the military right out of high school, and uh, when, when, when I joined, they, they, they trained you, and they teach you, and, 
And we had this one week where we learned to affix uh, uh, piercing bayonets, which are essentially knives, on the end of the most deadly weapon in the world, the M16. We would put them on the end. And they would teach us this class on how to, how to do hand-to-hand combat and how to parry left and parry right and to stab somebody in the heart and, you know, butt stroke them in the face. It was, it was a lot of fun as an 18-year-old. And I remember we had this course that we would have to go through. And I was sick that day. It was miserable. I had a fever. But, you know, they really didn't care. And I had to go through this course. And it was uphill. It was in Kentucky. And we had to go through this course where there were dummies in front of you. And you would have to perform the maneuvers that they taught you. But they had drill sergeants throughout the, the course. And they would yell, what makes the green grass grow, private? And we would respond. Blood, blood, red blood, drill sergeant. Now that feels weird, doesn't it? Blood, blood, red blood. It's weird. And I remember it was weird when they first taught us this, this, this answer to the question. I mean, I, it was so weird. We kind of laughed when we first said it. But what I noticed is over time, over time as we were trained, it became more than just a response. It became a way of life ingrained into my mind and into my soul. And, and the more we would say it, we would, get, we, we would do it with more anger each time. We would do it with more tenacity. We would do it with more rage. And we would do it with more hatred to the point we would see everybody as an enemy. And we would say, blood, blood, red blood. Ooh, kind of freaky, I know. It just freaked you all out. But you have to understand. This is who I became. I told you it was a philosophical question. I want you to think with this question for me for just a minute. What makes the green grass grow? At some point in life, we got to a point where we thought shedding red blood of human beings, people that were somehow reduced to subhuman animals, lower life forms, creatures without soul, life forms unable to love that we call enemy, somehow the shedding of their blood would bring growth. We, we've learned this. That somehow... Through, through taking another's life, we would have goodness, we would have prosperity, we would have freedom, we would have hope, and we would have a new way of life. It's the pursuit of happiness and freedom, right? Now, while many of you have not had the up-close and personal experience of the tragedies of war, we are not far removed from the mentality of us versus them. You were born. I mean, that's, that's what we are taught. And so we are not exempt from the formation and, and, and the mind that good will always come about by a perishable price. Y'all hear me this morning, right? We'll lighten up here in a minute. But, but we think good comes at a parable price, price. The irony of this morning's story is that we begin to see the same setting. The difference is we read this story from a vantage point of freedom while Jesus and the nation of Israel experience it from a posture of oppression. So if anybody needs or understands the value of freedom and revolution, it's people who are oppressed and enslaved by the heavy hand of Rome. 
the very same Rome who was widening the vast empire promising peace. This was their attempt, after all, at peace, the Pax Romana. You've, you've heard this. Rome was promising peace to all the conquered nations. You just had to do three things. Pay taxes. Submit your allegiance to the empire. And claim Caesar as God. If you did those three things, you were good. Pay taxes. Pledge your allegiance to the empire. And claim Caesar as God. You did those three things. Life was peaceful for you. But the moment that you decided to subvert that sort of peace, that sort of empire, it came at a tragic loss of life. It came with crucifixion. See, Rome perfected the heavy hand of peace. That's what I call it. They perfected the heavy hand of peace through one of the most violent acts known to man. And you might say, the underlying philosophy and question of Rome is, what makes the green grass grow? Blood. Blood. Red. Blood. Rome, prosperity. Freedom. Goodness. Hope and peace. All through the sacrificing of other people. But then there comes stories like this morning, and I told you, we're, we're, we're going to get some hope here in a minute. I know this is heavy, but I need you to understand the gravity of the question I'm asking you before we understand what hope is really about this morning. You see, there's a new story that comes along, this one this morning, that begins to refound our understanding the way the world was meant to be lived. In fact, we are bringing on through this story a whole other way. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 21. says, as they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, beat him up. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say it. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say, daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The dis disciples went and did as They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd, which history tells us were millions and millions of people, spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Y'all may be seated. This morning we would be misled. We would be misled to skip to the celebration and ignore the preparation and details that are taking place. 
In fact, we say in our church, if you want to discover the depth of a story, look at the backstory. And so if, if we, we can't skip to the celebration. We have to look at the backstory, what's going on behind the scenes, and we will get the intention of what Jesus is actually wanting us to celebrate this morning. Jesus seems a bit bossy here, doesn't he? Yeah. But here's the thing. Jesus knows what he wants, and he also knows what it's going to take to get what he wants. So they arrive on the Mount of Olives, and the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples is, go. Now, throughout much of Jesus' life, he has told his disciples and commanded them to do many things. But I truly believe this morning, up to this point, this is one of the most important commands that we have ever witnessed in history. Go. You see, go, this word go literally changed the trajectory of the world. It literally means, and I need you to write this down for those of you who are studious and taking notes, that go means to bring on the way. Say that with me. Bring on the way. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm sure, I'm just not convinced that you heard that today. Bring on the way. This is important. Go. Bring on the way. Have you ever been to a different town and done something that you weren't supposed to do? And somebody just came up to you and said, that's not the way we do things around here. That's really a nice way of saying you're an idiot and you don't belong here. But I have this question. How does the way things go around here ever become the way we do things around here? You see, there was a group of people probably that got together and decided that there was going to be a set of cultural norms. There were going to be a set of practices and a lifestyle that would guide a community into human flourishing. And they thought that they were good. These are good things. And so that's why we do the things we do the way we do them. It's because we believe that when we do the things this way, it brings good into our life. I find it interesting that Jesus' first followers, Christians, were not called Christians. They were called followers of the way. And so Jesus' announcement to go is an announcement to the disciples that they are to bring a new way into the world. In fact, Jesus says, I am the truth. I am love. I am life. I am the way. Amen. That's right. Come on now. Here we go. Amen. I am the way, and the way in which my ways come into the world is through you. Whoa. See, I thought Jesus was supposed to do everything. I thought pastor was supposed to do everything in the church. No, no, no. The way the church thrives, the way that we thrive, the way that God's way comes into the world is through you. You will be the ones who start this revolution and movement. You will be the followers and disciples who will bring on the way. Juliet, first, you will bring on the way into this world. That's you this morning. Some of you are just very smart, and you're already ahead of me. You're saying, well, Pastor, what is the way? It's a really good question. But there is just one problem. So I've got to get to the problem before I can get to the way. Notice Jesus says in the scripture, he says, go to the village and you will find a donkey that is what? Tied up. Now, I think for the most part, this statement goes unnoticed in Jesus' gospel. 
excuse me, in Matthew's gospel. This statement, you will go to the village and you will find a donkey that is tied up there. Now, this word in Greek literally means to be tied up. But you know what? I began to unpack the layers of this word, and I began to look at the root, and I began to look at what it actually was saying. And this word is also used to describe someone or something who is imprisoned or in bondage. Now think about this with me. What is imprisonment and bondage, slavery, oppression meant to do? I want you to think about that for a minute. It is designed to suppress life in such a way that is conformed to patterns of those in power. Whoa, that was good preaching. Somebody better say amen. Imprisonment, bondage, and oppression is designed to suppress life in such a way it is conformed to the patterns of those in power. In other words, this is the way we do things around here. Do you also understand that, that bondage, slavery, and oppression means by which is a force, punishment, and sometimes violence, subdue and crush? You see, what happens is bondage subdues a life into uniformity. So you'll do it the way we do it around here. But they do it through the uniformity of violence, not peace. Now, some of you are already head of the ballgame. I get this. Some of you already know that Jesus doesn't ride in on a white stallion as a king with a sword in his hand. Instead, he rides in on a donkey, which is not a sign of power. It is a sign of humility and peace. Hmm. So what is Jesus telling us here today? You'll go to the village. You'll find a donkey tied up. I think what Jesus wants us to know is what he's expressing in this moment is that peace has been imprisoned. Now, don't say amen. Jesus, in this very moment, in this small statement saying, you'll go to the village and you'll find this donkey tied up. It's saying, peace has been imprisoned. Peace, hear this now, has been subjugated and subdued to a lifeless uniformity disguised in violence. Wow. That is good preaching. Peace has been subjugated and subdued to a lifeless uniformity disguised in violence. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is peace is no longer peace. You call it peace, but you've abused peace in such a way that it's robbed it of life, of spirit, of, of, of sustaining creation the way I designed it. You have Imprisoned peace, and you have robbed it, my friends. This story is not about a donkey. This story is really not about celebrating a Savior. It is. But it's not about a donkey. It's about followers who bring on a new way of life, and it's about God's world of peace breaking into ours. Oh, that's really good. We are bringing on the way of peace, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to listen to what Jesus says. He says, when you get to the village, you'll find it tied there. And I want you to do what? Untie it. Say that. Untie it. Untie it. I read this word, and I think there's got to be more than just untying a donkey. 
And as I, again, did my research and I began to look at the word, what I found was that it actually takes us back to this story we were in last week of Lazarus who has been dead for four days. And Jesus raises him to life and he comes out and he says, what? Take off those grave clothes. Do you realize that the word here, untie, means to take off the grave clothes? Wow, that is good. What Jesus is saying here, here is take off the grave clothes of peace, roll the stone away of peace, and allow the prisoner of peace to be set free. The peace of God's world is being resurrected in this very moment by the disciples to all nations and to all people, regardless of race, religion, color, whatever it may be. God's peace is for everyone. This is what brings life. Take off the grave clothes of peace. What makes the green grass grow? Don't say that. <laughs> what makes the green grass grow? This is the question now as peace enters the world. What makes the green grass grow? I find it interesting, the crowds. By the way, it's dangerous to follow crowds. My mentor has told me never follow the crowd. I know some of you think I'm weird. I'm just not following the crowd. But the cr very crowds who celebrated Jesus are also the ones that crucified Jesus. You know this. What you may not know is that when Jesus stood next to his partner next to him in front of all of the crowds, they were both named Jesus. Yeah, maybe you didn't know that Barabbas' first name was Jesus. It was Jesus Barabbas, the violent revolutionary, or Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Which one will you pick this day? Oh, they chose Jesus, right? They chose Jesus, but it was Jesus, the violent revolutionary. That's what we want. Because how could peace overthrow the heavy hand of Rome? How could peace overthrow the heavy hand of Rome? Jesus brings peace into the world, and he says, your philosophy of life, what makes the green grass grow, blood, blood, red blood, is now taken upon a cross, self-sacrificed, self-emptying for you. No longer will you live by blood, blood, red blood, but you will live by provocative peace. And I love this. I love this. What makes the green grass grow? This is what Jesus wants to say to us. The love of Christ on the cross expressed in radical peace is what makes the green grass grow. Earlier this week, as I told you, I was staring out my window looking at the rain and the water fall. And when I asked that stupid question, what makes the green grass grow, and what has been ingrained in my life for a lifetime from the military is blood, blood, red blood. For the first time in my life, I walked around the house like an idiot, and I said, what makes the green grass grow? And I closed my eyes, and I opened my hands. I know, it's weird. And I said, rain. Rain. Rain is the new reign of peace. 
Oh, what a beautiful picture. You see, for a lifetime, my life has been 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 caught up into this idea that it is blood sacrifice that we will gain prosperity but Jesus says to us in his new world that no it is peace it is peace that brings growth it is peace that brings prosperity and love and it is rain that I shower upon you of grace and love that will change the world rain is the new rain of peace it was interesting uh, a few of our pastors went to a prayer conference just yesterday we got back last night around eight o'clock Met a gentleman named Harry. Harry, if you're listening, hello. He's from uh, the Isle of Jersey, uh, which is part of England, but I think off the coast of France. I think that's what I've been told. But Harry asked me this question. He said, what do you make of Syria? What do you make of Syria? Well, that's a loaded question. I said, uh, what do you mean, like? Uh, uh, what do I think about the situation or our current response to the situation? And he said, both. (laughs) That's dangerous. I'll only reveal the first answer I gave. But he said, I said to him, I said, you know, Harry, I don't know a whole lot. But what I have witnessed is a, a, a response that is reactionary. And interestingly, Brian Zahn said, people who are contemplative, people who find themselves within Christ are contemplative, not reactionary. And so I said, I, I don't know what the answer is. That very situation breaks my heart. Nobody wants to witness kids be gassed and die. Nobody wants to see that. But I told him, I know the response is not the very response of what they're using violence. As Christians, we are called to a different response, a response of peace. And I don't know how to do that. It's funny, while I was in Mexico on our mission trip with our friends from Costa Rica, uh, the superintendent there, Super Johnny, found out that I was in the military, and he said, you know what's funny? We don't have an army. He said, you all use your might, and we use our mind. He said, we have the mind of Christ. (laughs) Whoa. What do we do in today's world? How how do we bring on the way of peace in a world defined by violence and red blood? I want you to notice that in the gospel of Matthew, it tells us that Jesus said, go. It starts with you. It starts when you, I love this statement, live provocative peace. Write that. It starts when you live provocative peace. And what Jesus says when he says go is, I want you to be preparers of peace. Say that with me. We are preparers of peace. I think we have that up there too. Say it with me. We are the preparers of peace. Ladies and gentlemen, it starts with you. But can it, it can only start when you have the peace of Christ reigning within you. There are some of you here today who find yourself in predicaments and situations where you are not filled with peace. Some of you, some of us, are anxious. We are fearful. We are defined by hate. We are defined by, well, just not good situations. And we we don't have peace. 
You see, you can't have peace until you sit down and you say, Lord, I am over myself. I am over this way. And I will allow you to bring on a new way in my life in this very moment that is defined by the love of Christ. That takes a posture, not of this, but of this. This is our response to the world, ladies and gentlemen. A cross-liked, a cross-shaped, a cruciformed, a Jesus-shaped life. It is when you open yourself up to the world in peace that we will bring prosperity and growth and love. What makes the green grass grow? The rain that is the rain of peace. So my challenge to you this week is to live provocative peace. So people will look at you and they will say, whoa, they are weird. They are not part of the crowd. They are not following the norm. In fact, you may have some people say, we don't do it that way here. And that's One of the things we do every week is we invite you to the table of God's grace and his love and his mercy. For those serving this morning, would you come forward? This is where it starts, ladies and gentlemen. This is where it starts. You come to the table and you allow these elements to bring peace into your life. The other thing is that we believe this table, this sacrament, is a sending sacrament. And one of the ways that you are sent is by responding. And so we need you to take off the card on the bottom and tell us this day that you are allowing peace to reign in your life, that you will live provocative peace. And maybe there are some of you today who have decided for the first time in your life that you need peace in your life and you need to follow the one who will bring it to you. Would you let us know this morning that you need that? I'm not going to call you out. We're not going to make you feel weird. But you have a story to tell, and we want to know it. And we'll catch up with you eventually on the phone or in person and talk about how God is changing your life. Would you stand with me as we confess to God our very sins before we partake in the table? I think we have it here. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen that you may delight in his will and bring on.